0: Hi, I'm Sam Glover. And I'm Aaron Street, and this is episode 19 of The Lawyerist Podcast, a weekly podcast about lawyering and law practice. You can subscribe to the show in iTunes or using your favorite podcast app, or you can listen to it at lawyerist.com slash podcast. If you enjoy the show, we would really appreciate it if you take 30 seconds to give it a rating in iTunes.
1: We just published a new guide to computer security, which Ben Stevens, the Mac lawyer, wholeheartedly recommends that you buy. That is a quote. And I know we've told you about the guide a couple times, but I'm still pretty excited about it, um, and I'm pretty proud of it. So the deal is, in less than an hour and four easy steps, the guide makes it as easy to lock the virtual door to your computer as it is to lock the physical door to your office. You should totally get it at lawyerist.com shop. Sponsoring today's podcast is Ruby Receptionists. Sign up for a free trial at callruby.com lawyerist, and Ruby will answer your phones for free for two weeks.
0: So we've had a little switcheroo with the uh, podcast schedule. On episode 18, we announced that this week we'd be interviewing Rebecca Williams um, about open data and things. And then we found out that the audio file of her interview was all fucked up. And so now um, we're hopeful we can re-record an interview with Rebecca. We lost a week in the podcast um, and we'll be... uh, Fixing things in the future, hopefully. But this week, we'll be talking with our friend Ernie the Attorney instead, which is super fun. Um, But enough of that. No one cares about podcast logistics. Uh, This week, in our online super-secret private confidential lawyerist chat room for writers, our writer Stephen Chung had a question to the group about whether it was safe to use hotel Wi-Fi, um, and coffee shop Wi-Fi is, I guess, an extension of that, and given our New white paper about online security and best practices um, wanted to chat with you a little bit about the security and safety of hotel wi-fi uh, especially because i know that it could involve your favorite phrase packet sniffing
1: <laughs> so do you want my brief answer to his question
0: i want the brief answer and then i want a longer explanation that has you sniffing packets
1: okay the answer is no no, don't use hotel Wi-Fi to do anything sensitive. No, don't. Hotel but why, wif- Sam? Why? Oh, I mean, hotel Wi-Fi, for, for a number of reasons. Hotel Wi-Fi is particularly bad um, because hotels, you know, have to have that login process. And so sometimes they'll hijack your name servers and, you know, they're ripe for a man in the middle attack. It's just hotel Wi-Fi is awful. This is so but, many
0: buzzwords, Sam.
1: I know. But but the main thing is packet sniffing Um, it. So the the thing is, um, when I I didn't really start getting an idea of how networks actually worked until I became a Linux geek. And you don't need to hear about that. But the idea of a network is, you know, let's talk. It's like a coffee shop. Right. Everybody comes in through the door and exists in the, hangs out in the same space. You can overhear conversations, and when you leave, you go through the same door. Well, that's what a Wi-Fi router is. That's what a, an entire hotel is, right? You're piping all of those connections through one, you know, basically pipe to the internet, basically. And on, on the hotel side, or on the coffee shop side, or the library, or the courthouse side of that Wi-Fi, it's peer-to-peer, right? So you can hear what's going on over there. And that's what packet sniffing is all about. That is the way that you listen in on what other people are doing. It's not illegal as far as I'm concerned. I think, um, was it Holden who said that the re, he recently saw somebody openly sniffing packets at a library or something like that? Yeah. Um, and it's
0: a utility built into some computers even.
1: Yeah. If you have a Mac, uh, you can actually just do it. Um, there's a command line utility called TCP dump. Um, the 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 very popular app is called Wireshark. It's a free and open source packet sniffer. Um, that's not a hacking tool, actually. It's it's actually just a legitimate network utility. Because when you're trying to troubleshoot what's wrong with your network, sometimes you need to pack sniff packets in order to figure out what's going on. So this is actually just yeah, I mean, partly it's it can be used for nefarious purposes, but it's also just a legitimate network utility. So to um, simplify
0: this a lot, since you just threw out. Even a few buzzwords. I don't know. That is yeah. to say, that hotel Wi-Fi can be snooped by just about anyone very easily. Yeah, and they're doing it, and you would never know, and they can literally see what's on your in your internet traffic. Yeah,
1: and you and, would
0: never see it happening.
1: And right, and so we say things like that. It's so easy, and. And you know, I know that lots of people listening are like, "Well, I wouldn't know how to do it." Yes, you like literally. You know, by listening to the last the buzzwords that I've dropped in the last two minutes, you now know more than enough to figure out how to do it yourself. It's a matter of copying and pasting some commands, or downloading Wireshark and just doing it. I mean, it's so simple and easy to do, and and people do it. Like, it is extremely common to see somebody doing it in a coffee shop or any, at a courthouse, at any public place, because it's not, as far as I know, even illegal. It's just like listening in on a conversation across the room. Um, and some people just do it as a hobby. They're not doing it maliciously. They're just wondering what other people are looking at online. Um, so it's, it is literally child's play.
0: Wow, we've used the word literally a lot in this podcast already.
1: <laughs> it's a buzzword of the
0: day. Oh, my God. That's terrible.
1: <laughs> so so the what's bottom the line, solution, Sam? The solution is a VPN. And if you want to know more about that, uh, we've actually written about it on Lawyerist. Lisa Needham did a great post on securing your uh, your 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 computer over pu- uh, at, on a public Wi-Fi network. And um, if you want more detailed step-by-step instructions get the guide, which has among one of the four steps is how to secure your and your computer on on public Wi-Fi.
0: That's so fucking salesy of you. I love it.
1: Uh, You know, I'm really proud of this white paper. Like I want people to buy it. It's super cool. So um, and I hope I hope people everybody thinks it's a good value, but I'm pretty sure they will. So. So with that in mind, uh, now that you know how dangerous hotel Wi-Fi is um, and and all other kinds of public Wi-Fi, uh let's move on today i'm talking to ernie Svenson, aka ernie the attorney and i'm not sure if he wants to be known by that anymore um i didn't use it when i talked to him but we are talking about how to get started going paperless so here we go hi ernie how are you i'm doing great sam it's great to have you on our podcast And this is where I would ordinarily introduce you, but I don't do that. I make you introduce yourself. So why don't you give us your short bio?
2: Okay, sure. Um, I live in New Orleans, and I have lived here most of my life. I practiced commercial litigation in New Orleans for what was a big firm for New Orleans standards for about 20 years. And then after Hurricane Katrina, having delved into technology and figured out how to become paperless, I decided it would be a lot more enjoyable to go out on my own. So I went on my own, did commercial litigation for six-plus years. Along the way, I started giving talks to folks similar to me who wanted to get more out of technology and be more efficient and all that kind of stuff. So I started teaching seminars, doing CLE seminars, and speaking around the country. And now that's what I do full-time. I have a company called PaperlessChase.com. And basically my goal is to help Lawyers and small firms figure out how to make use of technology to do cool stuff like you know get better clients, cut costs, boost profits, and most fun of all for me when I was solo, outmatch arrogant attorneys in bigger firms.
1: <laughs> I like that. So, uh, so is it true the rumor? Because I, I I've said this before in uh, in CLEs and seminars without. Um, bothering to check the facts. Now you can tell me if I've been making it up. But is it true that Katrina was a big motivator for lawyers to go paperless? I think it was for some. I think it was a
2: big motivator for lawyers that technology could play a role. It was definitely a big motivator in... um, in learning how to collaborate virtually hmm. and how to use PDFs because everybody had to like email each other documents that way because we weren't in, all in the same city for six weeks. So yeah, I think it did kind of uh, up the learning curve for New Orleans attorneys there.
1: And, and I assume it destroyed a lot of client files.
2: Yes, it did. It destroyed a lot of things besides just client files, but yeah, client files were flooded and windblown and um, in some cases even destroyed by fire. So,
1: yeah. So, uh, which maybe touches on benefits, but we can leave that alone for a second because I feel like we have to start with people's objections, even though I can't believe that people still have objections. (laughs) I mean, so I I went paperless in early 2006, Mm -hmm. so almost 10 years ago. Um, And at the time, the reason I went paperless was because my insurance carrier my malpractice insurance character, carrier recommended it to me, mm. uh, and I have never considered insurance companies to be on the cutting edge of anything. <laughs> okay. Which means that uh, now, nine to ten years later, it should really be settled. But we still have to address objections. I feel like.
2: Yeah, I know, and I've been, and I'm like you. I kind of, I, I guess, I would say 2006 was when I really know for sure that I was paperless. But I was working on it before that. And so, for all that time, I've been trying to convince other lawyers of the benefits of it because once you experience them firsthand, you know they're powerful. And so,
1: yeah, I've, fr- tr- I've actually stopped giving seminars on going paperless. That's why I've got you here because <laughs> I have I've forgotten how to shuffle paper. Yeah, I've forgotten what it's like.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, I so I the the objections are they've been pretty much the same for a long time. So, the, and the objections are. One, you can't get rid of all paper. So that's one. Oh, but I can't be paperless because the assumption is that means there's no paper whatsoever in your life. And if you touch a piece of paper, you know, you die. That's not how it works.
1: I have always wondered, like, what do people think happens if you if you accidentally come across a piece of paper, like where is the rule and what, where are the consequences? Yeah. It's like that
2: game, you know, you play where you don't step on a crack, you know, when you're walking down the sidewalk and oh my God, I I touched a piece of paper. (laughs) Yeah. It's like that. And it's, so the thing is, there's a lot of misconceptions and that's the big one because lawyers think that that's an impediment that they have to get over. And so what I try to tell them is, look, it's not about having no paper. It's about getting rid of the pieces of paper that make you less efficient, which is going to be pretty much a lot. It's going to be a lot of paper. So if you're having a client file and you have the paper version of it, but you also have the digital version and you're basically using the digital version, well, what good is that paper version doing you? It's now another thing that you have to keep track of. That's not efficient. On the other hand, if you're a criminal court lawyer and you go to court and they assign you a file and they just hand you the file and your client's stand there and you arraign them or do whatever you do in criminal court, it's not going to be efficient to run back to the office and scan that paper and then come back to court. That's going to make your life harder. So it's really just getting rid of whatever paper makes you more efficient. But basically, all the paper you store, if you digitize it, as you well know, makes you more efficient because you can search for any piece of paper in there by using text search capabilities and stuff. So once you understand those benefits in a day-to-day way, you know what paper you need to get rid of. And basically, it's as much of it as possible, as quickly as possible, as you feel comfortable getting rid of paper.
1: Yeah, I I guess uh, I described it as a little bit differently, but I think we're getting at the same thing. Um, For me, it was sort of the the conceptual shift of the client file in capital letters from a paper client file to a digital client file. And once that digital one is the one that you're relying on, um, then I think you're you are effectively paperless. Yeah,
2: exactly. And that's what federal courts have done and all the other courts that have gone paperless. They don't have paper
1: originals anymore. Exactly. Uh, well, and and uh, it just becomes so much easier that way. But uh, what other kind of objections do you still get?
2: Uh, oh, another one is, well, you know, the judge won't let me be paperless if I go to court. I have to bring paper files. And I say, well, that's okay. Well, what I used to do is I would, if I was going to a trial and the judge required paper, I would print out all the paper at FedEx, Kinko's, and have a nice, neat box of all the paper I needed, but I would also have my laptop with all those same documents so that I could call them up efficiently. The judge wouldn't say to me, excuse me, you can't use your laptop now. We're going to be completely inefficient, and you can only use paper.
1: Right, let's be clear. The judge is not governing what you can do at counsel table.
2: Yeah, so I mean, I'm using the paper in the sense that I've got it there if I need to offer an exhibit, but it's actually easier for me to do that because, and I know this firsthand, because in the old days the papers are always all scrambled so as you're getting ready to go to trial you always need a clean set of everything because everything's become discombobulated and so paralegals are brought in to you know sh- sort things out you don't need paralegals anymore you go on a court and you need paper you, you know upload them to FedEx they print them for you in a nice neat box everything is orderly and if you need to use them, you use them. And if you don't, you don't. Or you can bring a printer to court. A lot, of, a lot of courts will let you bring a printer into court if it's quiet, and you can print out documents as you need. So there's ways to get around all of the problems. The thing is, people throw up these objections because they think that somehow they shouldn't even embark down this road if one day they might have to change course by you know one degree or do something slightly different.
1: Right. Um. Yeah, no, I think uh, you get to you get to do whatever's going to – it goes back to efficiency, right? You get to do whatever's going to make you most efficient. Yeah, exactly. So let's flip. Uh, I, I mean, I'm sure there are more objections out there. Um, they're all overcomable, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, all of the objections are things that we can overcome. So let's flip to the benefits. Sure. And uh, I'll offer my favorite benefit. The one I usually lead with is this. And and it's it usually comes after my Katrina example, which I'm I'm just going to say that i you validated for me now. <laughs> but it's the it's the if, if you if your office and your home burned down right now, how quickly could you be back up and running? Could you make? I mean, PTSD aside, could you make it to a hearing yeah. this afternoon? Right. Uh, and and adequately and competently represent your client, assuming you could find a clean and pressed suit. But, and and my my thing is if. If the answer is anything longer than the time it would take you to get to a computer with an internet connection, then I think you're doing, you're not, you're clearly not paperless and I think you're doing it wrong because the ability to be paperless is the ability to back up your files wherever you want to, to encrypt them, to have more security, to have more, um, more safety, all that kind of stuff.
2: Yeah. Your example packs in all of those benefits and that's as a great example. I love that example because that is kind of how... I, you know, when I was solo, I was always thinking because I was right after I'd been through Katrina and I had seen what failed in Katrina and my question was exactly that. Like, well, what happens if this laptop spontaneously combusts? Well, the first answer is I need two laptops or two computers. And if you have two computers and you're synchronizing all of your data through the cloud across those computers, that, but they're not both going to spontaneously erupt at the same time. I mean, that's just you know unlikely. But if they did and they're backed up to the cloud, you go to Best Buy or whatever, buy a new laptop, download the information, and off you go. And so, yeah, I always thought about how it wouldn't take me that long at all to get up and running if one of my computers blew up or something happened. And the thing is, You have to think of it not as that the computer is going to blow up. That's just you know an exciting metaphor. The reality is the hard drive is going to crash. Right? You're going to be sitting there working right before trial, and the hard drive is just going to you know stop working.
1: Which is when it always happens. Yeah,
2: that's when it happens. And so because these one thing about computers is they're stupid machines that do things really fast, but they also have a sixth sense and they know when you least can afford to have them
1: fail, and that's exactly when they fail. Computers are bastards, in other words. <laughs> they are. <laughs> they are. Right. Yeah. No. I think that's. I think that's a huge part of it. And you know, I don't. I think people start get nervous when you talk about digital because that feels more ephemeral than, uh, than paper. But you know, paper burns, and um, it's harder to make copies of paper, and it's really hard to store offsite copies of all your paper, and unless you have the money. To hire an Esperanto translator, I'm not sure how you encrypt paper. Right. Um, so, uh, so I think that you can actually be so much more secure in in both senses, both recover- disaster recovery, um, and then straight up security with with being paperless. Plus, there's just the speed of doing things. Right. I mean, well, that's assume- really the key.
2: that's really the key because see, the thing is, you know, technology to me all tech you know the best technology is technology which lets you automate stuff mm-hmm. so you can automate things and make them just go faster when you push the button or they can go faster without you pushing the button at all they just happen automatically and paper doesn't do anything automatically and if you think about like you gave a great example of copying just think about those those old collating you know the fancy machines that, that would collate like 15 copies every mm-hmm. time a sheet came out that thing had to move I mean the number of mechanical gears and how fast they were moving, you know, no wonder the copy machine guy was out there repairing it every week because that thing was just going to break down. Whereas today you want to copy and collate, you you hit copy and hit paste, 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 paste and you have perfect replicas. So like digital is automatable. You know, paper is not except through mechanical processes that are expensive and and unreliable.
1: Well speaking of expense, you know, one of my one of my uh, favorite things about being digital is it completely eliminates this conversation about who has to pay for copying the file right i mean you know I, and in fact i think very recently i was having this conversation with some lawyers who were arguing about you know my client wants a copy of their file and i'm not going to give it to them until they pay me and blah 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 and ethics rules and i'm just like you know this it, it was always my practice to give the client their entire file when I closed it, because A, I don't want the paper, they can have whatever paper's left, Right. and B, because a CD costs 10 cents. Right. So I'm <laughs> exactly. happy to burn the entire thing to a CD and give it to them. Or or think about document production, right? You used to have to actually get a courier or hire a truck to dump the huge piles of documents off at somebody else's office. Well, now you can just send them a, a Dropbox link or email it, or, or if you have to mail, a few CDs over there, Right. or do you, I guess DVDs we'd use at this point, or just send them a thumb drive, but um, the expense, you can reduce a ton of expense.
2: Right, exactly, yeah, I mean, so those are all, there's, there's so many benefits to get to shedding paper, there's just so many, and you don't really take stock of them until you live with it for a while, because it's just, you know, it's all theoretical, and you think it's not really going to make a big difference, and when you experience it firsthand, you, reala- you realize that it does make a it- huge difference.
1: Well, and I think a lot of lawyers think of going paperless as hard, right? Because it involves technology, first of all. But B, oh, I have to scan everything? Right. And the answer is no, you don't have to scan everything. Well, my answer is you might as well, but chances are you are going to copy every piece of paper that you receive at least once. Right. So scanning everything just moves all of that work up to the front end. Right. Uh, So it does front load the work, but you only have to scan it once, whereas you may copy it many, many times. Right. Oh,
2: I see. Yeah, you and I aren't disagreeing. So what I was saying, though, is like a lot of things you can capture digitally without having to scan sure. like, you know, web-based faxing. You know, the other person has a scanner, just, you know, capture it digitally. But yeah, for all your paper, you're going to want to scan everything that you get for sure. Yeah.
1: Well, and I I guess my experience too, and I'm, I'm sure this was yours, is that over time, the if you tend to deal with the same circle of opposing counsel or co counsel or whatever, they start to anticipate and get used to the way you work. Right. Um, I, you know, I eventually ca- canceled my fax machine, my electronic fax, because nobody faxed me anything anymore because they knew they could just email it to me. Right. And faxing is not easier than emailing for anyone, no matter how many much lawyers like to cling to their fax machines. Right.
2: Yeah. So, no, you're you're right.
1: So I found over time that the amount of scanning I had to do dropped because other lawyers started doing more scanning and started giving things to me in the way that I was used to getting them. So
2: Yeah, that's true.
1: So let's assume we've been super persuasive here. Okay. And people are ready to go paperless, which they, they should be. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess it's time, right? Courts are going paperless. <laughs> I mean, doctors have gone paperless at this point. Right. They were the Luddites that we could always point to and say, but they're worse than us. So... Um, but so let's say we've been super persuasive. How does someone get started?
2: Well, what I tell people is they, they already have gotten started because they already have a file format system that they want that they know that they need to scan to, which would be PDFs. That's There's no choice there. There used to be some question about that. There's no more question. You're going to scan to PDF or you're going to convert to PDF? Then the question is, well, where are you going to put these PDFs and how are you going to organize them? And the answer is well what are you doing with your word processing files currently? Because whatever you're doing with them, that's probably a workable system for the PDFs. And if you don't have a system, well then, you know, learn how to name them with the date in the front and then, you know, put a description and um, there's all kinds of I mean everybody agrees on that one. That one's easy. After you get past three or four users though, it gets tricky to, to manage files using a basic, you know, file storage system because there will be some chaos in the system. So then you need to start looking for like a document management system, but those are becoming more and more affordable. So really, you know, you're you're already there. The problem most people have isn't how to get started. The problem is just taking stock of where they are and building up momentum in logical places. And then also realizing, well, like, you know, if you're keeping things in a digital format and in a paper format, you're doing twice as much work and you can kind of start moving away from that. So it's really just kind of taking stock of where you are and capturing momentum that you already have built up or that you, or building up momentum in places where you can easily do that and avoid taking on unnecessary huge challenges and you know manage the small challenges effectively. That's basically so it.
1: So it sounds like what you're saying is that uh, going paperless is more efficient than not being paperless, but Uh, most law practices have probably picked up additional inefficiency because now they are doing some things paperless and some things on paper. And the decision is really more when are you going to finally commit to being paperless and eliminate all that inefficiency that you've been dragging along this whole time? Yep. That's it. So now that we've taught people to recognize that, it should be really a no-brainer.
2: I think so. I think most people just don't they just need kind of to, to walk through what's the process going to be. And this is why, so after years of doing this, um, I've learned that, you know, when I give this talk now, people are, you know, some people have already started and they go, that's great. I've already started. I can see that, that I feel good. Some people feel like, okay, good. Now I have got a green light, but they still need, even after having heard, you know, a presentation as well structured, they still need. playbook again so i have like an email thing they go to paperlesschase.com they can click on the thing that says you know give me the free one page explanation and then i follow that up with emails that come out periodically just to keep them reminded of all this stuff which isn't that hard but i just find that they need a lot of assurance
1: so do you have like cardinal rules of going paperless like you know i had one which was nothing leaves the inbox without being scanned So that anything that's lying around my office, I know that I can shred if I need to.
2: Yeah, no, that's definitely one you want to. You need to capture everything. You need the system needs to be reliable and trustworthy, and that means that every piece of paper comes in has to get scanned. The best way to do that is to scan it immediately. Um, So that's definitely rule number one. Um, The other rules are, I guess these are more guidelines, but lawyers when they start down this process, because of course they're very cautious, they think, well, I'm going to scan my closed files first, because those have less value, they're less mission critical, and that way we can just sort of test the waters. And I tell them, just don't even do that, because ha- there is no value in your closed files. Um, there's value in your open files, and really you're going to need to experience the value by working on an open file so you start to know why being paperless is great. And so the trick is to take a case that's just opened up and start to use that as kind of your experiment. And, and you know, so you have to be patient and go slowly in the beginning and not become too enthusiastic and say, I'm going to tackle this really quickly. Because in the beginning, you really need to work out kinks with your workflow and, you know, make sure everybody's on the same page, make sure everybody understands how to do it. Once everybody kind of knows how to handle one case or two cases... It's going to be a lot easier to ramp up, but you want to avoid stepping on landmines, as I put it, because as soon as something major goes wrong, then people get discouraged, and then the naysayers win, and they say, "Ah, you see, we couldn't do it, and you can do it. You just have to be patient and not blow anything up, and it's, you know, usually blow things up by being impatient.
1: Well, yeah, I suppose this is like learning how to do a client intake. You just have to work it out and figure out how it's going to work best for your office and for you, and how everybody's going to do this. So, yeah, exactly. That's that's exactly it. So once you start putting documents into PDF format, uh, what's what are the advantages of that? I mean, we've got two documents, right? One is paper sitting in front of me. I guess I can turn the pages and draw on it and read it, and that's about it. The mm-hmm. other one is a PDF, and I'm assuming I can do more of it with that than just write it and read on it.
2: Yeah. And I mean, you know, I think in terms of the litigation practice, because that's what I do, but, you know, it's, it can be true for transactional lawyers too, but let's just take the litigator, right? So the first time I ever encountered, uh, scanned the documents, my amazement. Is, you know was tremendous because I realized that whereas before with paper I'd have to pick up the pieces of paper flip the pages make sure I got you know the, for the right page that I didn't skip one and read the document and then if I liked it I have to put a sticky note on it and then come back to it and if I wanted to write in the margin I have to like make a copy first or put a sticky note there so it was all this cumbersome nature of dealing with paper which didn't seem cumbersome because it was just what I was used to. But as soon as I was working on PDFs, I would just hit like next page, next page, next page, next page, oh, bookmark, hit bookmark. And you just learn the keyboard shortcuts and it becomes like a video game where you're just going through the documents really fast, tagging things that you want to come back to, making notes really quickly. And then, you know, the piece de resistance is you say to yourself, oh, I have a stack of paper here. My client thinks that somewhere in here is a document that some guy wrote and his name is blah, blah, blah. And you say, well, okay, I'll just search for it because it's text searchable. And you find every document that that guy wrote in like three seconds. You can't do that with paper. Yeah, and It's just not even an option.
1: You know, I mean, now lots of people get e-transcripts, but um, before that was a common thing. I mean, I used to sit in depositions and basically Google the witnesses answer to every question in, and just see what I had on it. Right. Um, which is an amazing thing that you just can't do with paper. yep. Yeah, yeah, so, and, the, and yeah, the annotating is super helpful. And you, you've you got, I, I guess this is where I, I, sh- I should stop and plug some of the resources you have. Ernie's website is paperlesschase.com. And uh, if you look at the sidebar, there's at least two. And I know that there's more resources there. Uh, the first one is five key steps to creating a paperless law office. The second is PDF Essentials for Lawyers. Is that the one where you kind of blew my mind with all of the neat stuff you can do with Adobe Reader? Yeah, yeah. So that book, I wrote PDF Essentials because I
2: knew from having written the book for the American Bar Association on using Acrobat um, that lawyers needed help with just the basics. Like even lawyers who owned Acrobat didn't know about things that they could do in Acrobat that they could do with the reader. So I just said, okay, let's just take Adobe Reader, Version 11 is the latest one. And version 11 lets you do a lot of stuff that they used to charge you money for and make you buy professional. And so I sat down and figured out well, what are all the things that I think that that modern lawyer should be able to do with a PDF file or their staff? But what are the things that they should be able to do that they could do if they had Reader? And Reader is free. So, like, you know, you can highlight things with Reader. You know, so you can take the highlighter tool, highlight passages that you think are important. And even make little notes, click on the highlighting and type in some notes. And then you can go over in the comment section and you can drill into each one of those things and click on it and hyper jump. Because those are hyperlinks, you can jump right to the places
1: where all these comments
2: are. That's huge. They used to charge a lot of money for that.
1: This thing kind of blew my mind. And because there are definitely things you can only do with Acrobat, like, you know, bait stamping or watermarking and stuff. But you can do it just a ton with Reader. Right. By the way, this is maybe where we should stop, and I'm going to describe a pet peeve here, which is that everybody should stop calling the software Adobe. (laughs) Adobe is the name of a company. Adobe makes other popular software that you may have heard of, like Photoshop, um, Dreamweaver. um, (laughs) Illustrator. (laughs) Yeah, Illustrator, um, all kinds of stuff. Uh, It is a company. It's like saying, instead of Word, calling Microsoft Word, Microsoft I'm going to go use Microsoft to draft a document. I mean, it's, ah, it just grates on me. It drives me crazy. So there's my pet peeve.
2: (laughs) No, I agree. It leads to confusion because when I ask lawyers, do you have Adobe Acrobat? Because what I really want to know is how committed are you or how sophisticated is your PDF handling practice? And they'll always say, oh, yeah, I have, because they hear Adobe. And they'll say, oh, yeah, I have Mm -hmm. Adobe. It's like, well, no, I mean, Adobe professional Acrobat that costs $300. Oh, no, I don't have that. Then you have right, the there's, okay, a,
1: there's yeah. Adobe Reader, which is free, Right. there's Adobe Acrobat Standard, which has a lot of extra features, and then there's Adobe Acrobat Pro, which has all of the features.
2: Right, and if you're a Mac user, you can only get the Pro version, which costs $430, and if you're a Windows user, you can drop down to the $300, $300 version if you don't want to do bait stamping or redaction.
1: Okay, so bait stamping and redaction are the key Pro features. Yep. What... What else can you do that is worth getting pro?
2: Um, That's really it, I would say. So, My my recommendation to lawyers is make sure you have at least one copy of Professional in your office so that you can bait stamp or redact when you need to, but you're not doing that every day. You're doing that once in a while. Standard is all you need, and it lets you um, convert a scanned document into text-searchable PDFs, which is really the key thing. So that's, unless it, it you do that, unless you do everything else you'd want to do. So the only things that you need professional for, I would say, are bait stamping and redaction. And those are important, but you don't you don't need a bunch of copies. You only need one.
1: And can you add and remove pages with Reader, or do you need Standard at least to do that? You need Standard for that, although if you're a
2: Mac user, you can use Preview and do it. Right.
1: Um, and that that's probably the one I use. The, I mean, I guess OCR is... I just use it, but I don't think about it. But right. um, adding and removing pages is probably the thing I do the most common. Right. Um, okay, so everybody should have at least one copy of Acrobat Pro in the office. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of competitors out there. Are any of them worth getting?
2: I would say what's on the Windows side is where all the competition is pretty similar. So, um, and I'm a Mac user, so I don't know all of the Windows. Options, but actually, you know, a year ago, you asked me to write an article about Nuance uh, Power PDF, and so right. I, I got that, and I played with that for a month using my Windows machine, and I found it to be basically comparable to Adobe Acrobat, and just this. I think peck- you said
1: to to Adobe Acrobat Standard. To
2: well, actually, to professional because it does bait stamping and redaction as well. Oh, okay. Yeah, so they have to They had their Power PDF comes in standard and professional as well. So like, there's a sixty nine dollar. Or, or $99 version, and then the one that's super duper is $149. So so Nuance's $149 program does everything that Adobe's $420 program does, and actually does some things better. So, so I huh. just did a session with Catherine Sanders-Reach, who used to be the head of the ABA Legal Technology Resource Center and now is with the Chicago Bar. She's very knowledgeable about PDFs, and she's been using um, Nuance Power PDF a lot. And so we did kind of a shootout where she would talk about how Nuance did it. i talk about how Acrobat did it. And at the end, I basically said, you know, if I were you, I would just get Nuance because it's cheaper. It does everything. And some things it does even more. Um, so you're going to save money um, and you're going to be able to do everything you need to do with Acrobat Professional. The only downside, and I don't think this is a huge downside, is that... You're going to have to go find some resource that teaches you all of this. But Mm -hmm. I would say that if you know how to do the stuff that I teach lawyers how to do in PDF Essentials, you're ready to learn the rest of it on your own. It's not that hard.
1: Gotcha. And what about, uh, for Mac users, uh, PDF Pen Pro, Yeah, which is very popular.
2: Yeah, those are good. PDF Pen Pro is, I think, the $99 one that kind of tries to do everything that Acrobat does. And uh, the service, I mean, the company puts it together, Smile, they're great. I've played with it. I like it. It's very Mac like, but I don't I can't remember now what exactly the deficiencies are. But with bait stamping, it's not as robust as the bait stamping in um Nuance or in Adobe because it it doesn't it, you don't control as many features. And bait stamping is important. So if you're gonna do it, you need a really good program to do it. So I would say here again, if you're a Mac user, you really need to have Adobe Acrobat Professional. I mean, it costs $420, but the thing about the saving of money and the worrying about money is if you're really using this program the way that, you know, to its full extent in your practice, $420 is still nothing. Yeah. You know, I mean, but if you're deploying it like, you know, in a big firm like my friend Jeff Richardson, who has, you know, 600 users or whatever, you know, they wanted to save $125,000. So, yeah, okay. And they have people that will train people, but in the in the average small firm, I mean, my recommendation is usually go with the thing that's dominant. You're going to find more people that can help you with it. There's going to be more books about it. Um, if you're really tight, okay, then you know, chintz out if you if you have to. But it's it's you know, if you're using it well, you're not going to care how much it costs. It's, it's probably be better stable.
1: to wait until you can afford it than yeah. to get something that's not going to cut it. Yeah, yeah. Um speaking of what, uh, maybe you can answer this for me. Uh, so i I'm a an Adobe Creative Cloud subscriber because mm-hmm. I need to use Photoshop and Premiere and things like that. Um, and this this new Acrobat document cloud thing just came out. Oh, does, right. does that yeah. First of all, for Creative Cloud subscribers, do you know if that is part of the subscription? And maybe more importantly, what the heck is document cloud and Yeah, I I haven't even bothered to figure it out yet. Yeah,
2: I have kind of not really been intensely worried about it myself, but I have sort of noticed it and talked to people who are using it. And I don't know if it's part of Creative Cloud. I do know that one of the things that they did is, and this is typical of Adobe, and I hate this about Adobe, they've moved things around. And change the names of things, right? Right? You know, like it's never good enough for them for one version to the next to leave things where that people knew that they were. And now you have to go searching for them. I mean, to the point that um, Rick Borstein and and who's who has a wonderful blog called Adobe Acrobat for Legal Professionals. He one of his latest tips was how in document you know Adobe Acrobat DC, whatever it's called that you can find tools by going up and searching for them, which on the Mac you've always been able to do, but now I guess in Windows you can do it too. And that's great that you can go search for these tools, but I think they should just stop moving them and stop renaming them and leave the interface the way people are used to it. So I don't really know what they're trying to do with Document Cloud, except that I I gather part of it is they want you to store your documents in their system, and then it will be easier you know, the integration will be tighter and smoother if you're using this new version.
1: Um, I guess the other side of it is that you can get Acrobat Pro for fourteen ninety nine a month, Yep, which is 180 bucks a year, which is maybe more palatable for some people. Uh, I mean, you know, I, I use Photoshop now for whatever the subscription is in Creative Cloud, and that was like a $2,000 program or something before. Mm-hmm. And and whatever my monthly fee is for everything that Adobe makes is nowhere near as expensive as buying them piecemeal before. So, you know, if if you're not totally object, uh, opposed to subscription stuff, that actually looks like a pretty good deal to me. Yeah, so. no,
2: subscriptions make sense. And fourteen dollars a month, and you can cancel. It, you know, if you stop using it. Um, but but if you're if you're using it effectively, and if you're not, you need training. And if you're using mm-hmm. it effectively, you're it's going to change the way you practice law. I mean, because PDFs are the heartbeat of being paperless. They're the documents that used to be in paper form, they're now in PDFs. And so knowing how to rotate pages, knowing how to insert pages, extract pages, um, you know everything that you're going to be doing with those documents, you're not going to worry about paying $14 a month if, if right. you have that capability. You're, it's going to make you so much more efficient to be able to do that.
1: So besides Acrobat, uh, which I think we both agree... You need. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else are, are the essential things?
2: Um, well, you need a scan. We talked about that. So you need a scanner. And to, here again, life is really easy because when I started out, it wasn't clear what scanner you'd get, and the scanners were expensive, and they had scuzzy ports, and they were hard to set up, and all this stuff. And now, you know, you just go ahead and you get a Fujitsu scan snap. You don't even think about it, and you get the one that costs four hundred bucks, and you can go to Amazon and look look up, you know, there or go wherever you want, but Amazon usually has comparable. Competitive price, and when you get the four hundred twenty dollars Fujitsu ScanSnap scanner, which is the version is currently called the IX five hundred, it's got sitting one, on my
1: desk. Yeah, <laughs> we all
2: know. We all know this trick. I mean, you know, when we go to tech show, we ask everybody, like, Who, what are they using? It's all it's the same scanner. Um, it's got one button. You push the button. You know, fifty pages at a time, mix and match, letter legal, color, black and white, back and front. You know, it's just fast. It's efficient. It's reliable. But it also comes with a free version of Adobe Acrobat Standard. If you're a Windows user, if you're a Mac user, you don't get this benefit. But that's a $300 program that comes bundled with the scanner,
1: which is like a, just a no-brainer value. Yeah, yeah, you know, you know. So I've I've reviewed a lot of scanners over the years um, for Lawyerist and. This still is the king, and and the reason is not actually the hardware. Mm-hmm. So people will be like, yeah, but this one scans faster and all that kind of stuff. But it's not about the hardware. It's the fact that Fujitsu is the only company on the planet that has actually taken the time to develop decent software for the scanner. Right, and that's what makes it so easy to use.
2: Yeah, and I've I've so I have I have a page on my Paperless Chase site which I actually link to as one of you know it's one of the featured articles or whatever. And it's called like what's the best scanner. For a small law firm, and you know, I I make the case for the Fujitsu. Just you know, because I I want people to make the clear cut choice. And if you don't have, if you're not going to make that choice, you need a really good reason. And I can't think of what the reason is. But um, I've I've, you know, when I go to the Milo forum, you know, the Mac and Law Offices forum, or any other forum where lawyers are talking about scanners they buy, if I see lawyers saying, "Oh my God, I made such a huge mistake when I bought the neat receipt scanner," for Mm -hmm. example. I'll will get that testimonial or that explanation and I'll put it on that page so that lawyers can see. Look, this isn't just me saying this. All these lawyers who've tried these other scanners, they say exactly what you just said. Like it, you know, the neat receipt scanner, the hardware, yeah, fine, it's okay. The software is a problem. Yeah. So it, that's the problem. Is it's you know, the hardware is the Fujitsu hardware is great, but it's the software that comes with it, not just the Acrobat software, but also its own internal software.
1: There is one time where I think that it is not the right scanner. And that is if you are using a document management system that allows you to scan directly into the system, Mm -hmm. it is going to require Twain, which is Twain is a language that computers can use to talk to scanners. And then the ScanSnap is not the scanner for you.
2: I think though it's some like net documents you can scan in world docs. I don't know. I'm not a document management expert. This, but the
1: scan snap is so popular that many of the document management yeah. solutions you're looking at will now support it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's
2: I th- if it's not supported, I'd be shocked. But um, yeah, you're right. You know, it, it's not Twain
1: compatible. There are a few like uh, nuanced paperport holdouts. Right. Uh, the last time I used that, I wanted to throw my computer across the river. But um, <laughs> but some people love it. Uh, um, but no, the ScanSnap is the one to get. What What do you feel about portable scanners?
2: Um, I have played with those, and I, and I have the latest version from Fujitsu, the one that's wireless. And that's one where, like, you know,
1: I, I, do, I do too. It's in that it's in a box right over there, and I yeah, haven't it opened it since I tested it. Yeah, it doesn't.
2: I don't need a wireless portable scanner. The portable scanner was a great idea, and was one of those things that seemed like a great idea until. In practice, I realized, like, do I really want to be carrying this thing around just so that I can scan a few pages? And so, really, the thing that's changed my life is this app called Scannable from Evernote, mm-hmm. and it just works really well. You don't have like you just put another piece of paper in; it knows it's there. It takes the picture. You just and you know, it's really
1: easy to get. Uh, to I clear, use yeah. uh, I, I use Scanbot, the yeah. Scannable app for Ever- I, I kind of didn't get that one, but I, I okay. Scanbot is great. I've used. Um, Ah, uh, Riedel's uh, Scanner Pro, mm-hmm. um, and I—I I actually did a video at one point comparing me using the portable ScanSnap to the Riedel Scanner Pro, because the ScanSnap is not faster enough to make it worth lugging all that stuff right. along.
2: And so. you have an iPhone; you're using an iPhone as well. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, the iPhone has a really great camera. All you have to do is learn how to take pictures with mm-hmm. it, and if you're really so New Orleans, the the the. the uh, state court, our local state court, they have all these rules about you can't t- you can't scan your own documents. and this was all passed back when they originally started uh, making copies for people because they're afraid that some company was going to come in and put a big super scanner and scan everything and divert their revenue stream. They never repealed the law so that if they see you in there with like a scanner making copies at no cost <laughs> as opposed to their one dollar per copy and ten minutes you know per processing, Thing you know they get upset and they cite the the law. But if you're holding your iPhone, they don't even know what the hell's going on. So right. <laughs> that's like another that. reason to get <laughs> proficient at scanning with an iPhone in case you have this problem.
1: And uh, I think we, I'm pretty sure we both agree that all in ones are terrible, bad. Yeah, the, the trade off isn't worth it. I mean, and that's another
2: thing where I've captured those testimonials as well because. Lawyers need to hear from other lawyers who've tried it and then said, "Oh wait, no, I see, I, I get it. You know, this, the Fujitsu is the way to go."
1: Well, it's one of those things. Like if if being paperless seems hard to you, it and and you're trying to do it with an all in one, that it's it's the hardware that's the problem. Yeah, exactly. Uh, my favorite piece of hardware, by the way, for going paperless is a shredder. <laughs>
2: Yeah, actually, my my partner, the guy that I started Paperless Chase with, he's he's even more rabid about all this stuff than I am. And he said they shouldn't uh, they they shouldn't sell scanners that aren't connected directly to a shredder.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in fairness, you have to save some things. Yeah, right. You like in Minnesota, do. in in court, you have to. Um, we actually serve before filing. And so if you, you have to file the original mm-hmm. um, and because there, there could be a long delay. So you have to keep that, you know, you want to keep your client's signatures pages for affidavits. Right. You want to keep, uh, you know, so you want to keep stuff like that. Um, but you know, my typical client file was a quarter of an inch thick.
2: Yeah, that's actually one of the other questions that we kind of, I guess we didn't get to, is people say, well, what papers do I need to keep? And yes, you're right. There are some papers you need to keep, promissory notes, wills, affidavits, you know, things like that. But what your point is exactly right. Once you're completely paperless and in, in that all your main paper has been scanned and you don't need the paper, those few documents where you are keeping the paper are so few, you'll never lose one of them.
1: You know, no, where and they all are. Well, right. They're in your desk drawer because you don't have very many of them. <laughs> and, and my thing was always I would always give them back to the client. Like if, if there was an option, if it wasn't something I might have to use in the in the case, I would give it back to the client. Let them look after well, it. Well, I
2: recommend that's one of the things I recommend, and I even supply this, you know, when people click on the link and get the one page thing. One of them is I give them the document, the Word document that is the terms and conditions that you should insert into your terms and conditions right away that basically says to the client, look, I don't keep paper. If you want the paper, tell me where to send it. Nobody ever wants the paper sent to them. It's never an issue.
1: No, it was never an issue for me either. So any final thoughts or tips and tricks to send somebody off into the world of, the wonderful world of being paperless?
2: Um, I mean, I think we've covered all of them. I mean, the basic things, you know, don't scan closed files, make the transition slowly. Uh, And I think the other big one, and this kind of is sitting behind our recommendation about PDFs, is when you're going to be digital, you know, or depend more on digital information, you need to have your technology skills up a notch or two. And so part of that is being good with PDFs, but part of that is maybe handling email better. Part of it is knowing how to work with documents remotely, because the more you are um, skilled at handling digital information and understanding its nature, the better off you're going to be. And so you need for you to have those skills, you need for all the people in your office to have those skills, and that means you need to invest in technology training. And so that's, you know, that if, you, if you're saying, well, I, I need to get started being paperless, well, you need to get started upping your skills with technology because technology's always changing, there's always things happening that are potentially useful if you take advantage of them, and keeping up with all that is no longer optional. You know, you I'm, have to do it.
1: I'm really glad I have a big soapbox here. You're welcome to come on up here. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, well, thanks so much for being with us today, Ernie. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm going to put in one last plug here for Ernie's paperlesschase.com. And because he mentioned tech skills, I'm also going to say uh, stop by lawyerist.com slash shop where you can get our four-step computer security upgrade, which will help with some of those technology skills he was mentioning. And the more digital files you've got, the more important it is to keep them secure. So uh, thanks for being with us this week and we'll see you again soon. Bye, Ernie. All right, take care, Sam. This episode of The Lawyerist Podcast is brought to you by Ruby Receptionists. Ruby answered the phones for my law practice for a couple of years. And here's the thing. When I was answering the phone, I was often distracted. I might be in the middle of reading a brief that pissed me off from opposing counsel uh, or dealing with something stressful or that I really needed to focus on. And so the phone rings, it's an interruption, kind of drives me crazy and I'm never at my best. That's not the face I wanted to put forward to clients. So when I got Ruby, The whole thing changed for two reasons first because uh, the ladies at ruby are fantastic on the phone they're cheerful they're friendly they're helpful and what happened is that people would regularly say wow i just had such a great experience with your receptionist and second because my instructions were that anybody who asked for me by name should be put straight through to me the way that happens is it's a soft transfer meaning The first person i hear from is a receptionist from ruby who says hi this is so and so from ruby receptionists i've got so and so on the phone and they're calling about this should i put him through and so i have the opportunity to say no tell them to call this person tell them i'll call them back later please take a message or sure put them through and i'll talk to them and just that little bit of buffer meant that by the time i got on the phone I was prepared for the conversation, and I could be in a much better mood. Hiring somebody to pick up my phones and answer my phones for me, that is as friendly and professional and helpful as Ruby was one of the best things I did for my practice and for my sanity and productivity. So you should check out Ruby, and you've got no reason not to because it's free for 14 days. And if you check them out by going to callruby.com slash lawyerist, They will also waive the setup fee should you decide to stick with them. And if you sign up for the trial, they will take good care of you and I'm pretty sure you will want to hire them in the end. So go to callruby.com slash lawyerist and find out for yourself.
0: So we're taking a week off, but catch us in two weeks for episode 20 when we talk with David Collaruso, a Massachusetts public defender and legal hacker.
1: Subscribe to The Lawyerist Podcast in iTunes or in your favorite podcast app. You can listen to it at lawyerist.com slash podcast. You can also subscribe to The Lawyerist Insider, our weekly newsletter. Just go to lawyerist.com and look down the sidebar or click on newsletter up at the top. We'll remind you where to find the podcast whenever we release a new episode. Thanks for listening.